Hey, Wonderfuls, welcome to episode 460 of the JV Club with my marvelous guest, Rebecca Sebastian. If you are a regular listener to the JV Club, you probably already know my love of certain true crime podcasts. Rebecca has a great podcast called Dialogue, just launched a three-part series called The Business of Cults. She also has a, a really fun show called Criminality. That sort of blends uh, reality TV and true crime and just has a lot of great stuff going on. So I hope you enjoy the episode. And speaking of true crime, you may also already know, but I am so, so, so excited to be joining the wonderful Bob Ruff and his buddy Zach Weaver as co-host of the Truth and Justice follow up that occurs every week after his regular episodes. He has just launched season 12. It is quite a mystery, a lot to dig into, and it is a perfectly great time to get into truth and justice if you have not listened to it before you really don't need to have listened to past seasons if you want to jump in at 12 it is starting fresh with a new case and i'm so impressed by the work bob does and so excited to be a small part of his work not just as a podcaster but as an investigator and an advocate for people who have been wrongly convicted he is seeking their exoneration and again i'm so honored to be a part of that so give that a listen of course you can always find me at braving the elements as well as Voyage to the Stars. That's a lot of podcasts, but they're all special and wonderful in their own way, if I do say so myself. Forgive me for that. I'll talk to you next week. Well, I'm so glad that we're doing this. Uh, I am very aware of you and your fine work in the true crime world. You very much do, uh, you know, you have a different approach to kind of how you talk about true crime and who you talk to and how you approach Mm. it. And it just doesn't surprise me at all that you and Shiloh fell in friend love with each other uh, for exactly those reasons. Yeah, we are truly Instagram first friends that met in real life. And the first time we met, I stayed at her home. I mean, that's that's Love a it. big leap for lots of people, but for two people as immersed in true crime as we are, it was like a double <laughs> risk, like as we know, <laughs> totally. we know how that could go. Um, but yeah, yeah, she's the best. And um, yeah, one of the best things to come out of like my true crime endeavors. Oh, I love that. Yeah, she's the best. It's tr- it becomes true across all sort of focuses I so foci I don't know listen am I gonna get <laughs> that am I gonna, am I gonna get that uh, specific about language and verbiage right now but just like the whole sort of adage about the people you meet being such a huge part of what makes whatever thing you're doing at any given moment so important I mean that has been true for me whether I was doing a podcast or working at pottery barn or working on a show it, it you're like oh this is still those like little gems that sort of shine, they kind of stand out when it's a when it's a person that you really connect with. You it that matters. stands out more than like, oh, I just had I have a fun job doing my job. It's like, no. We, oh, it matters so much. It informs so much of that experience. I also worked at a pottery barn. So you that's do really? fun. Oh I my god, I love it. I worked at a pottery barn kids, which was like Okay. Okay. Just like another universe uh-huh. of, of insanity. Um, I'm not sure if they had Pottery Barn kids yet when I worked at Pottery Barn, but they must have been on their way if they didn't. Mm-hmm. I was in San Francisco. Where were you? This was in Princeton, New Jersey. I'm in New York now, but this was Princeton, New Jersey. So there was a lot of you know serious deliberations over crib decor and oh, balances yeah. that matched. It was like... 
very labor intensive. But um, yeah, lots of conversations about that, which I frankly, I found fascinating and enjoyed very much. Uh, I, I yeah. liked my job, too. I really yeah. liked it. It was it's it's turns out that home furnishings like I could pretty much show up for that every day. <laughs> yeah, you show up and do that. You know, now that I haven't thought about this in years, but there was a, a true crime scandal at my Pottery Barn Kids that I'm <gasps> no. suddenly remembering. Yeah. And it goes oh my way God. above and beyond like customer like shoplifting. It was a an employee. There had been like repeated theft and they were figuring out that it was coming from inside. And it was a woman who had befriended me because we were neighbors and she was very, very generous. And she invited me to her kids' birthday parties like early on in the friendship and showered with me and my child at the time with um, pretty nice gifts, like things I didn't ever get for my kid, like sweaters from Barney's, things like that, where I was like, Uh and I was a very young mom. So I was like, excuse me, like, thank you. This is Uh, so exciting. She got taken out in handcuffs because she was the one. shit taking the money. And when she left, she was screaming about, I just wanted to give them tea at the plaza, meaning her daughters. It was like, whoa, it was like, one she of these, was, the, like, she was the star of her own movie. If she was saying something like that, right. It was like before there were Netflix, white, white collar crime thrillers. Like that was one, like she had an illusion of what her life should be. And I guess it wasn't quite matching up. So she was doing what she had to do to kind of make it happen. So, wow. yeah, I forgot all about that, but yeah. I have to say, I mean, first of all, I hope that she maybe hopefully got some help. It's so hard to know, you know, and it's hard to not. I mean, uh, kudos to people like Shiloh, who I feel like somehow like she is not a person that I feel is psychoanalyzing me in any way, shape or form when I'm around her. (laughs) I beg Um, her to. She won't. (laughs) (laughs) She refuses. God damn it. Church and state. Why? (laughs) But, you know, just. I feel like, and maybe you don't do that as much. Well, I'll have to ask her. I wish you were here. But if you feel less tempted to do that when you have been clinically trained, because you do have that separation in your brain, and I think maybe yeah. I did ask her that once. Whereas if you don't have any of that background, but it's a hobby, you know, if you're interested in psychology or the psychology of crime or what have you, it's real easy to start drawing little mini conclusions in your head and be like, mm, sounds like a textbook narcissist. Like, Janet, what are you talking um, about? You don't know. It's very hard to to create the boundary and to know where you belong in that story, which is really nowhere near it. You know, honestly, <laughs> like once the crime has happened, you're like my interactions with her ended as they should have. And um, that's kind of it. But yeah, I'm always like, how far is too far? I found out my parents are neighbors with family members of the uh, Jose Menendez oh yeah who passed away obviously who was yeah. killed by his sons and i was like so is like a block party out of the question would that like has that ever happened and would you be open my parents were like absolutely not because they don't trust me to like mingle with their neighbors um and yeah. i wouldn't i wouldn't be shamelessly asking about it but i might like feel it out and just see if it came up but um sure. you know things like that they compel me so i, I want to know Was that, I I totally get it. Was that something that you were drawn to as a younger person as well? Um, And and did it, and did it exist in the same form now that it does? Because I feel like I had a real interest in mysteries, but Mm -hmm. I personally, I mean, I only recently found out exactly what maybe or maybe not happened. I mean, in terms of the JonBenet 
case, for example, mm. I had zero awareness of it other than that I was really uncomfortable that there was a child who had been killed and it was all over the tabloids. And because it was inter- because people interested in it were the kind of people who also read tabloids in my mind. Yeah. This is young me yes. thinking. I was sure, like, sure, sure. I need to stay so far away from this because this is horrible. And whatever happened for this poor family, it's awful. Yeah. I don't want to know anything. It's not my business. Da 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 da. And that sort of was my understanding of crime when as a yeah. young person, it was like it was just what was splashed all over tabloids in the news. And so I kept so far afield from that in a way that I don't anymore and I think the biggest part of that is is podcasts for me you know I still don't watch the ID channel I'm not saying that god love anyone who does there's plenty of fun great stuff on there but for me it's in my ear holes I just want that in my ear holes and I'm just wondering if you had that you know what I mean if you had that same kind of like maybe you would have been drawn to it but you couldn't because of that barrier Yeah, such an interesting way to think about it. And I do think podcasts have given us and opened up a very new way of interacting with crime and with true crime in a way that feels a lot more comfortable for me. For someone who is deeply into true crime as I am, I actually really hate stories of murder. Like I'm actually super disinterested in details of gore and violence. I cannot stand serial killers. Like I don't know all the factoids about them. So I think for me, uh, like you, I grew up reading mysteries. Very, I was a new, Nancy Drew kid all the way. Like totally, me too. Looking for mystery, like just looking for shenanigans all the time where there wasn't any. Uh-huh. Um, and I grew up watching cops with my dad, which is not appropriate, but uh-huh. it was the eighties, and like that was okay parenting. So yeah. I was fascinated by crime in that sense, but I always had this weird uh, propensity to feel badly for the criminal. Like somehow I even Mm. could tell then that like this didn't seem fair that they were being ambushed and like, but they'd done something wrong. So I was reconciling that. So not surprisingly, this kind of turned more into, I'm more interested in talking about criminal justice. I'm more interested yes. in the John JonBenet Ramsey case as like a, what does it say about us? That people sure. now go to Boulder and take pictures outside of that house or For sure. that we care more about her because she was a little pageant queen as opposed Which, to like yeah. tons yeah. of missing children who aren't maybe of Absolutely. color. So those things are what has changed for me. And that happened in high school. Like the OJ Simpson case, occurred. And that was like a big light bulb moment for me because I'm like, oh my God, this is not about murder. I mean, it is like two people died and it was tragic, but that story was about race. It was about celebrity and power and money and corruption and journalism and law enforcement. And and all of that was like super interesting to me. So I think the OJ Simpson story, which is for many people, a turning point was for me like, I want to talk about this differently. I want to think about it differently. And that's kind of when that started. Yeah. Were you still, you were in Princeton when that was happening? I was. I was in high school. I'm really going to date myself because we're talking like 90s. Um, I feel like maybe we're, I'm probably older than you. I don't oh, know. N- no, no, I promise. Um, I promise I'm older than you, but don't even worry about it. We, we won't, we won't, we don't need to, but it was uh-huh. the 90s. I was in high school and and the Menendez <laughs> story happened in Princeton too. So that was a big interest. Uh, before they lived in Beverly Hills, they lived in Princeton. So oh, gotcha. Okay. If you remember the weird spending spree they went on after the parents died with the money, one of the things they did was bought a chicken wing restaurant, which is a weird oh, wow. factoid. And that was yeah. in our hometown. So oh, it was like a big crazy. deal. But yeah, so I was in Princeton, New Jersey when the OJ Simpson story happened and I was in high school. Okay. Yeah, the, it's funny. I, I can't help but think back for those of you who are familiar with my Ursula Whitaker, who's a dear friend of mine episode from years ago. She dated, um, who's the older one? Lyle? Eric? I always forget. I can't remember. I, oh, Eric? I, 
I kind of think it's Eric. The mind fuck is that Lyle seems like an older person's name, so you want to make Eric the it's younger so brother. So true. And which sure. one was losing his hair early? I feel like it might have even also been the a great young question. One, which it might things. have been the young one. You're That's right. Why, but you're right. I want to say Eric is older. Okay, so I think I think it was the older one, and I think wow. I mean she tells the story on my podcast. We don't. It's not you know the podcast isn't about that, but it, she she was in high school, and oh. she like dated him a little bit and like she remembers going to see him in jail before anyone really thought that they might have been you know she's she there were definitely people her age who were like well obviously what they're saying must be true because you know when, when we go to high school together or whatever so right. maybe actually you know what because her had the, the older brother wasn't in high school so maybe she had dated him in the past Probably. I gotta get he to the was, bottom of this. He was I can't believe I've Princeton. created my own mystery. Yeah. No, I know. Here we go. Like the rest of the episode, we're going to just be trying to solve the timeline of your friend let's dating. Get that, let's get which... the tree going. Let's get the string. Let's, yeah. We, we need a board. But he, the older one went to Princeton University. So it was probably before that. Yeah. But, um, kids in my high school wore free the Menendez brother buttons. Like it was oh my a, God. it was a see, And for me, I, again, it was another thing that I was like, oh, I'm uncomfortable with this. If I see it, if I see it at the shop, you know, when I'm with my mom at the grocery store, like That's so wise. I, I shouldn't, I should ignore it. But yet, yeah, totally loved mysteries, was obsessed with, my dad um, is definitely not a cops guy. He's like PBS guy. So we would mm-hmm. watch PBS mystery and those wonderful renditions they did of Sherlock Holmes. Yes. And so there was definitely like, and it extends all the way to the Benedict Cumberbatch version, right? Where you're like, why is he so sexy? Absolutely. He's so emotionally unavailable and smart. I guess I'm attracted to computers. Yes. And this little (laughs) nugget you see behind me, that is Sherlock named for the aforementioned. Yeah. No, I love it. I love all of that. And we also grew up listening to, to radio shows on NPR, like um, Prairie Home Companion and those little radio shows shorts that they did yes. so a mystery I mean a story is a story and true crime has compelling stories with a yeah. lot of mystery like it's not shocking that so many people are you know so interested in it for sure well that's one of the things that I had thought again because I literally came into any familiarity at all with the John Bonet Ramsey case because of casting John Bonet on Netflix. Oh, sure, sure. Which is extraordinarily good. But mm-hmm. that's also weird when you don't really know much about it and then you watch that, which is the sort of amazing hybrid, I don't even know what kind of broke the mold for what it's doing. Right. And, I, and so I still felt like completely vague about what it was. And then I finally started kind of poking around. And What's interesting to me about it is that it, I, I, I think, again, and I think you'll understand this, my attraction to it is absolutely meta in the sense of like, why is this such a big deal to people? But getting a little more familiar with it, for me personally, it isn't, I, it truly is not her race or her wealth. It is the fucking ransom note. Like it oh is, the, it is the sort of, it, yes. that's very strange. Do you and know unique. what I mean? And, it, and it could have yes. happened any scenario in which a child is killed and that note existed, whether it was in a tiny, but would we have heard about it? Probably not. So that's where the accessibility comes in. But it's the, it's those puzzles where you're just like, oh, come on. Like, and no, why? Is what is happening here? A unique factor in that story that it, it transcends like all of those other things yeah. we talked about and absolutely has hooked people in. But what an interesting case for you to not be super familiar with, because it's one that like people are willing to kind of it's a hill people are willing to die on, like their opinion yeah. on that case. That's one Which of like, like three cases I'm, that are like, yeah. 
they, they know, I think I know a lot about that story. Then I talk to people who know a lot about that story and I'm like, right. oh, okay, sorry, I'm out, I'm out. Like, you've got me. But what if they also, I mean, that seems like the, the, the more famous the story, the more the proliferation of rumor mm-hmm. and innuendo and just like things that ha- are patently false, but that have been repeated over and over and over again. And that's also the sort of beauty and curse of the Internet is like, if you can't find your primary source material, you can't take it into account. Right. You know? And it's revealed that I am absolutely not a details person. Like, I, I think I already have suspected it, but this has proven it because I should care. Like, I should want to get to the bottom and find that fact and the corroboration and to be able to back it up in that primary source. And yet I'm more like, I'm not sure if I can or have the attention span. So like, what does it mean though, guys? Like, I'd rather right. just like have right. that conversation. Like, let me talk right. to an expert who could tell me like, what was the driving thing behind this? Because- I don't know. That's just not my, that's not like, I don't lean into that. That's not my strength. Like, you know, so it took me a long time to figure that out and to give up this idea that I'm like very detail oriented. I'm actually not. And it's very liberating to say it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. Schmanners. Noun. Definition. Rules of etiquette designed not to judge others, but rather to guide ourselves through everyday social situations. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. Every week on Schmanners, we take a look at a topic that has to do with society or manners. We talk about the history of it. We take a look at how it applies to everyday life. And we take some of your questions. And sometimes we do a biography about a really cool person that had an impact on how we view etiquette. So join us every Friday and listen to Schmanners on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? Well, let's take this back to high school then for a second to that those incredibly important sort of development <sighs> years. When you say you kind of as an adult came to realize like maybe this little piece of the story I tell myself about myself yeah. isn't spot on and maybe that's okay is that something that you did experience as a younger person were you sort of hard on yourself in terms of your expectations of yourself and like you know what what kind of student were you because I feel like that kind of informs that those sorts of things I man I don't revisit this often but you know knowing I was coming on here I certainly was going back and thinking um yeah I was kind of that I don't know. I guess it's a, it's a stereotype, but I, I was a, I was a good girl. I, I rolled the line, you know, like I was like just fun enough to like have a good time, but uh-huh. like mostly stayed on the very straight and narrow. Yeah. And I presented like a straight A student and I loved that identity, but I wasn't. Mm. Mm. And I really struggled because I knew I was smart and I was very, and I could read and devour information and give it back orally. Hmm, that's uh-huh. <laughs> in an academic setting, but yes. I could not take tests and I choked at the SATs. Mm-hmm. So my ambitions for my life and like the gap between that and what was like possible felt really big. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of shame around it. So, mm-hmm. and I ran with like a very talented group of kids. So everybody was smart. Everybody, if they weren't super book smart. They were amazing performers or musicians or athletes. And I kind of dabbled in everything. Right. You know, I was a dabbler. Um, I was good at a lot and like excellent at nothing. And it's like boohoo. But like, you know, when you want to excel at something, it's like a weird place to be. 
it's a weird place to be. I've talked about it <clears throat> on the podcast many times. This idea of lots of different people feel the shame about like, oh, I feel sorry for me because I'm saying this thing. It's everyone's experience is different. Right. Um, but as another kid who was pretty good at plenty of stuff that mm -hmm. I never saw myself spectacularly fail at anything until right. I would try something new that I was bad at. Yes. You uh, somehow, whether it's from external influences or from internal or a little of both or whatever, the problem with that is, oh, like, boo-hoo, me, I was kind of talented at some stuff. Great. But if you don't know how hard it is to learn something that you don't have an aptitude for, you don't think you can do it. Right. Right? right. So yes. if there's something I would do that I was bad at, I was like, oh, well, I'm just bad at this. Period. End of story. Never going to try it again. I'm bad at this. It feels bad. It made me feel ashamed to be bad at it. And so and also it doesn't necessarily push you towards excellence because you're like, well, I'm uh, look, I'm proficient in guitar. But, right. you know, I'm also a good writer. Like in my, you know, when I was in the play, do I have to bother with any of these things? That much? Exactly. You know, it's like that's it's... not necessarily good. <laughs> no. And when you turn it on like a not just that it's it's hard for me, it's that I'm bad at it. It becomes like it's a shame thing and it piles on. Totally. And what you don't know is that the person excelling might not be good at a lot of other things, but right. they sure have worked hard at this one thing. And I think right. that is what I did not understand until many, many years later. And so I kind of flailed and, and that was hard, I think, but it didn't look that way. I don't think many people would describe me as like in that way and, and, what did come very naturally was like friendships and like social ease again on the outside. I think we were all internally struggling to some degree sure. or another, and I was struggling a lot more inside. So there were yeah. perfectionistic tendencies, but I couldn't get like the outward perfection to match what yeah. I felt should go. So that turned into a whole mess of like therapeutic necessities and like uh -huh. stuff I had to start <laughs> sure. dealing with and like eating issues and all of it and and not knowing what I wanted to do you know being an actress was actually what I really really wanted to do but I was so inside my own head mm. that I could never like it's so obvious to me now that like I could never have been free enough to do mm. that that's why I wasn't excelling I wasn't free and you have to be and you know this like you have to be so free and vulnerable and like giving over to something else to do yeah. that well. And I was doing it in like a disconnected, like there's something that comes naturally about this. Like I'm good yes. at this, but yes. also there, I couldn't like break through. Yes, and, I totally yeah. get that. And I think people yeah. go through different phases of that, even if they are doing it professionally or sure. whether they do or don't. Um, pursue it you know it's it's so true that like whatever else is going on with your life it's, that involves every part of your the rest of your life right so if your totally. career is that you are an accountant like doesn't matter if your marriage isn't going great for sure that's going to affect how you're doing your job of and course. likewise you know with with the creative arts it's like how how do you try to channel whatever's going on into your work in some kind of permissive way that maybe you don't feel like you can do as an accountant, but it doesn't necessarily play out that way. It can be like, and then I was in robot mode for a year. <laughs> and you're like, that's probably not good for your artistic sensibilities. Exactly. And also it was, I had a very like narrow and finite understanding of how this could manifest. Like it was mm. be an actress and this that or that way and right. nothing else. Right. I didn't right. have the imagination or the experience and, you know, wisdom to know, like, there's a, probably a lot of places what I am good at would fit. Right, um, right. 
let me be a little more gentle with myself and explore those. It was just like, what's wrong with you? Find something else. Like, right. you know, it's like, it. who, get it. who does that help? And, and going to the shame thing, I was just thinking like when I said, oh, boohoo me, I just saw this quote and it helped me so much. And I'm going to misquote it, but maybe we could fact check it later. It's something like we're not all in the same boat. Some of us are in yachts. Some of us are on rafts. We're all in the same storm. And so I mm. thought that was helpful because, yeah, we do. There are like levels of privilege and ease and circumstances that separate us. But like life storm is life storm. And so right. just because you're drowning in a yacht doesn't mean you're not drowning. So yeah, yeah. I felt like that was like, God, I wish someone, anyone in high school had told me that, you know, like some (laughs) mentor or person, it's like, you feel very lonely, like drifting, you know, at that time. And, um, yeah. So how did dating, how does dating fit (laughs) into that? (laughs) Uh, not great, not well. Uh Um, I, you know, sought approval from based on who was adoring me and I really wanted to be adored. (laughs) I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, but I'm a four and it's a very oh, like... Oh, tell me. Tell me more about the Enneagram. I've heard of it and I don't know oh, if anyone's broken it down for me. Janet. Maybe. Unless okay. I unless I don't realize that I know of it by that name. Uh, that's that's possible. So, um, oh man. Okay. Oh, so hard to... Uh, <laughs> the Enneagram is both an ancient and modern tool to reveal your... Uh, it's not, it's, it's mislabeled as a personality test, but consider okay. it an alternative to like the Myers-Briggs, which okay, is very yeah. corporate and like yes. really um, focuses on like your output and your performance. Yes. This really measures what I would call, God, it's going to get woohoo, your core essence. Um, Love it. That's and, the, that's the merest pinch of, of woohoo to some <laughs> yeah, of the like stuff we're, that's we're, been going We're going to just yeah. skate close. We're not going to yeah. get too weird. Um, and I would say like your, your human, like your biggest human vulnerability mm-hmm. and the Enneagram is like a nine points, a circle with, within it, there are nine points and it's based on some ancient something that I, sure details. Uh, I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> Again, I, I read about it and I still don't know, but it be, like it became more uh, in vogue again, like in the sixties and seventies. So it's yeah. this test that you can take. I would be glad to share a link with you. And Amazing. you're either, you're somewhere between a one and a nine, a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Each one of those numbers sort of can be boiled down to a word. And I, I won't know all nine, but nine is like generally considered a peacemaker. One is the reformer. So the reformer sees what's okay. wrong in the world and wants to change it. The nine right. wants to create harmony at any cost. The four is called the romantic or the individualist, and they're real in their feelings. They they don't have feelings. They are feelings. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's me. That is she's sadness in Pixar's Inside Out. Like she's oh, a, sure. she had to be a four. Like I've never yeah. related more to a character in a movie than sadness. Yeah. So I'm a four. Um, a six is the observer. They're they're very anxious and they're studying and they're self protected and guarded. So hmm. the beauty of the enneagram is that you find out that your greatest gift can be your downfall when you're yeah. not healthy. Yeah. So it sort of teaches you how to be like uh, at stasis within like yes. your, your true self. And you also have yeah. a wing. So one of the numbers on your either side of your number is your wing. So that's the this. number you should lean into to kind of get out of your foreness or your two-ness or whatever you are. Yeah. So as a four dating, like, because that brings up a lot of feelings, good, bad, and ugly, like I was like a whirlwind. Um, yeah. So I would you, fall. you were also a teenager. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, you also you also had the hormones of a you know yes of of five people. Like we all had like five persons worth of hormones in one body. Yeah, just little struggling body. But um, but yeah. So uh, so God, we could go on about the enneagram. But um, I I, for anyone who doesn't know about it, like it's a fun thing to explore. You don't. I love tools. You know what? I love tools. I love I love the horoscope as a tool. I like. Yeah. Anything like you were saying, when you can acknowledge that you, then you can forgive yourself and applaud mm. yourself for having qualities that each have a dark and a light side, and yin and yang, dark and, and know that they are totally necessary to, co- you, they have to coexist because you can't have one without the other. Any of that is like, again, that sort of permission, like you said, to be gentle with yourself and to go, yes. okay, I can look at this and not judge. I can look at it yeah. and be proactive or be constructive in my criticism of myself or of my behaviors and know that also like I also owe myself the praise of the the part of it that I'm that I should be proud of right precisely it's it's celebrating it and it's acknowledging it when it needs to kind of be checked and it's it's both and it's like and again this goes back to true crime and the conversations I'm having it's it's so not binary it's so not black and white this is the messy gray it's that we are dark and light it's that we have a lot of capabilities within us that range a big spectrum of, of across good and bad. And, and that's okay. And I had no language for that. I was also raised in an evangelical Christian setting. So Ah. I was tempering all of that and all the hormones and all the boy craziness with like, do not dare have sex and like wrestling with that, um, to be really, you know, vulnerable. So, so there was a lot that was like a, like exhausting four years of like, how do I yeah. project like desirable virginity was basically my brand. And like, you know, I <laughs> was that? like, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is exhausting. But uh, it's that is totally exhausting. And it's an ongoing conversation every time I think about teenagerhood with anyone of how many restrictions cause or you know, uh, again, all of it is coming from the thousands of different things that are sort of stimulating you coming from all yeah. these different directions. And yeah. and that's absolutely part of it is like, how do you respond to your environment? And are the things, the pressures that are being put onto you causing the reactions that, you know, what's caught? Yeah. Are you having, is, are they having the opposite effect? Or if you have a great relationship with your parents, maybe you absolutely believe as they believe in those moments. But then later you sort of look back and go like, yeah, I'm not sure those values are my values anymore. Or you have that, you know, in the moment response of like, fuck this. You want yeah. me to do this. Therefore, I couldn't want to do the other thing more. I That's yeah. what I want. And so it's just like, what a puzzle. What a puzzle. Yeah. And I think those those two possibilities are what I didn't do. I didn't lean in and accept and actually feel in alignment with it, but I didn't rebel and say, wait, I have questions. Can someone please answer this? Mm. Well, that would have been actually the middle. I didn't rebel and just say, fuck this. Fuck you. No, I did this internal like I have questions. Nobody's willing to talk to me, honestly. And so there was a lot of deception and there was a lot of like being different things to different people. Mm-hmm. Also exhausting. I, yes. I mean, I don't even think it was like so, so dramatic, but I think a lot of people probably did that to an extent where we kind of become chameleons. But in this sense, I had to really like shift in and out as I formed these opinions and, and values and um, find safe places to be, you know, just yeah. to be. And so there was a lot of trying on of things. Like I had friends very different friend groups 
And I liked that because I got to kind of be like, oh, what's it like to be in this group? We're all on student council. And what's it like to be in this group? Like they tried drugs. I want to be around it. I don't know if I want yeah. to do it, but I want to be near. I want to be offered. Like, you know, yeah. like, yeah. so there was like, uh, and I could, and I like kind of went all over the place. And so, um, yeah, my social passport was wildly exotic. <laughs> so. In terms of dating, were you, <laughs> was that being reflected in like, okay, this person from this group that I was trying out was interested in me. So I gave that a try, but it didn't work for X, Y, Z reason. And then I sort of ricocheted over here. And then this seemed like it was attractive. Cause I think that's something that a lot of us go through as well. And people continue to go through in their life. Like you, you, if you're find something lacking or you yourself are not bringing something to a relationship, whatever's causing it that you, you know, accidentally go binge on like whatever you thought was missing which is probably not great either uh so I dated like the star theater guy and the and the football player so if that tells you anything to your yes like it was like trying on identities and like well that was heartbreaking and he's too moody the actor um I'll I'll find comfort in the arms of a jock and all that that brings and to really like give more nuance to it In the 90s, in my high school, public high school, New Jersey, it was not traditional like social hierarchy, like the movies like that never really resonated. Mm -hmm. Yes, there were athletes and yes, there were artists and cool kids and not cool kids. But it was a pretty like there wasn't this um, crazy like bullying. I don't know. Just system. Yeah, exactly. Like you really do see that. And I do think there were probably more schools like that. Mine just wasn't. So it was easy to be fluid. I wasn't the only person that could kind of slip in and out of these these friend groups. But yeah, I would definitely seek the approval of a certain someone and the group that went with that and the experience that went with that. And it was very like driven by my own shame. Like when I didn't feel like I was up to par in that little world of the actors and the actresses, you know, I'd be like, well, yeah. it's fine because look, this whole group over here, like they love me and I don't know anything about football, but I can go and like be part of that. So, so yeah, that, that would come up a lot. And the, the other thing is that dating wasn't huge in my high school. It was like the hookup culture, mm. it just like very few boyfriend girlfriends. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was just me that was like not being called a girlfriend. So that was like a big thing was just like, yeah. what are we? What is this? And my need for like clearer uh, definitions and like mm-hmm. I wanted this to be part of my identity. So I kind of need to know what it is. And there wasn't a lot of that. So there was a lot of like angst Yeah. Um, in addition to all the the usual. So it was a weird, weird time. 19, <laughs> Mid 90s in Princeton, New Jersey. I don't know. The boys were, you- were very lucky. <laughs> The boys were so lucky. <laughs> Living their best lives. Living their freaking best lives. Um, were there, because of the angst and because of the sort of um, conflict and the stuff that you were sort of internalizing and weren't necessarily sharing with other people, were you finding sort of a sense of being seen in by musician, like musicians you liked or writers that you were really into? Did you feel like you were trying to puzzle through some of that? in some way without necessarily like looping your friends in or talking to a therapist or whatever. And and if so, who, who were the kind of heroes of yours? You were like, Oh, I could just disappear into, you know, this person's music or whatever. Yes. That's a great question. And it was plays. It was like, when I'm out of here, I'm going to New York and I'm going to be an actress on the stage. Like, and I'm going to read. And so I read plays. That was like my thing. And that was my Mm. escape. And I just memorized monologues. So like, 
John Patrick Shanley. I mean, I'm really dating myself. Um, <laughs> uh, what's Women of Manhattan and Heidi Chronicles? Wendy Wasserstein. Girl, I was like, Heidi at the Heidi Chronicles yes, at college. Okay, so don't you, you worry about dating yourself. <laughs> okay, so you you get that. I think this will be lost on a lot of people who A, aren't like theater people or B, who are yeah. like young millennials. But um, I... I really loved reading plays and I really loved the idea of being someone else. And I loved the idea of life after this. Like, yeah, this is all possible. It's just all over there. So I'll just keep reading it. Um, So I was always looking for outs and I found some, I found some theater things that were really amazing and informative on my growth that were not in my high school that were like Shakespeare outside of, you know, and those were like beautiful places where I really did get, tastes of that freedom, you know, still yeah. in my own head, but like, I, I I could sense it was like possible for me. So yeah. 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 And Shakespeare. Wait, you- I read so much Shakespeare. Such a weirdo. But that's so great. I mean, listen, I thoroughly applaud that. And also, you know, those Shakespearean actors that played Sherlock, they've got all that wonderful Shakespearean training. It comes to bear even in like a contemporary setting. It's so true, but I, I couldn't like, get through a book or a play right now if, if my life depended on it. Like that, that was a very specific time and place that I'm glad I had. And that is so not like interesting to me right now. Is that weird? I don't know. It's not weird. And I also feel like, again, it's sort of force of habit stuff. Like if you're in school, you just you just are re- you're a reader. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you're in school, you're going to be a reader regardless. So if it's yeah. that muscle that's like, well, of course, like this is a thing I do anyway. Therefore, I'm going to do some version of it that feels like it's it's just for me. Ownership, um, yeah. Whereas, yeah, whereas, like, I, that totally makes sense to me. It totally makes yeah. sense to me. Um, and I often feel that way. Like, oh, whatever, whatever uh, incredible dedication to completing something like, you know, just reading a play for fun. I, I don't think I could do that now unless I had something adjacent that I had committed to. Exactly. And then it would sort of, like, Propel somehow trickle process. over. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I totally get it. What about church? Did you, were you going to, was that also a kind of a community of people that like you were sort of fragmented into like a, like church on Sundays kind of thing? Yeah. And Wednesday nights. Um, yes, it was very much like another place where I was this version of Rebecca and, I don't want to sound like I was a split self. I I, I don't had, think you sound like that at all. I think we can, many of us can relate to right? that. Right. Like there were threads and through lines. And I'd like to think a lot of people from that time of my life would use some similar adjectives across these different groups to describe yeah. me. But yeah, there was definitely like that was this other part of my life and um, and a great one. You know, really great friendships there, learned a lot. But again, what I feel should have been a safe space for asking questions about major world points of view and it wasn't and I and I got that message early and I just used it for what it was and but was always deeply drawn to the spiritual and to God and all of it but I I didn't love the the packaging it was being presented to me with you know yeah is uh, and forgive me uh, and I say this as somebody who grew up having to go to a Mormon church with my mom I guess from an outsider's perspective when you hear evangelical it, it could suggest that um, part of that uh, theology includes a lot of discussion about how everyone else is wrong. Is that kind of right? Yeah, I mean, if no, you you got to get saved, you got to, yeah. which there's a there certainly is an element of that in Mormonism, but Mormonism's um, has sort of. <laughs> 
for all of its faults. Like there are things I love. The generosity of the religion in some ways I mm. love because there's this sense of like, it's never too late. Even right. if you die and you've been believing the wrong thing, you're going to get all straightened out. If you're a good person, you're going to get all straightened out. Yeah. Of course, you're going to go to heaven. Um, again, it still doesn't really allow for like a Buddhist to just go <laughs> yeah. straight to heaven. You know what I mean? There's going to be yeah. like some school happens, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. But but that but I think that for somebody like you who is who did have that, those secret tendencies and who did feel drawn to the spiritual um, mm-hmm. in a more amorphous way, perhaps um, that's a tough doctrine to just have hammered in over and over. This idea of like, yeah, anyone you like who doesn't believe exactly as you believe you can go ahead and just kiss them goodbye. On some level, they're just not going to be saved. And, you know, you might be speaking somewhat facetiously, but like, that's not an exaggeration. I mean, the pressure that a kid feels like when they are um, navigating everything we just talked about. And plus, also, if everything you're being told at church is right, you're not going to see any of them after we all die. (laughs) Like, it's kind of a lot of responsibility on top of getting good grades and getting into college. It's like, oh, so I didn't love that. But I also was like, terrified. I was terrified of it being true. I was terrified of it not being true. Right. I was prepared for, for neither. Just to kind of wrap up the church piece. I think that if if it were me and I did have some level of this, although my parents were divorced and my dad was an atheist. So I always had that other voice over here going like, Mm. I don't think this is really who you are, but those kinds of structures in and of themselves, I could see creating that sense of ambivalence about a lot of other different things like I kind of want to just hover you know Mm -hmm. can I just hover around all of this stuff because when there's a really loud voice coming from one direction about something and that feels overwhelming like I can see how that would create you know not in a meaningful ongoing like oh my god life crisis way but just in a sort of teenage way of like I'm neither this nor this. (laughs) I'm neither here nor that. This is not, I don't have that one thing I'm perfect at. I'm just going to kind of let's keep it mellow, everybody. You know, I think that makes total sense. And I think that's a way of protecting yourself from from harsh, you know, things as as a younger person, as you're learning how to build that armor or take down that armor or what have you. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I, I don't think I've ever thought of it like that, but I think that uh, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I will send you an invoice. <laughs> yes, thank and... you. <laughs> One week off for my therapist. I was on a podcast this week. We're good. <laughs> Please let your therapist know. I'm sure they'll understand. I'm sure they'll know it's totally, you can just exchange those. No big deal. Same rate of exchange. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. I'm a psychic. My name is Psychic Carrie. I'm yes. Ross. Oh, what a pleasure to meet you. Of course, I knew your name was Ross, as I'm a psychic. But please, take a yeah. seat. Well, I was hoping we, hoping could, talk we could talk about my, my podcast. podcast. Yes, I know. It's called Oh No, Around Ross and Carrie. Yes. We investigate from uh-huh. science, spirituality, uh-huh. and claims of the paranormal. paranormal. You, you took the words right out of my mouth. Yes. This whole podcast, it sounds like it's been a real challenge for you lately. Actually, it's a lot of fun. Yes, exactly. Because it's so fun. Fun. I don't know how you this do it. This will be $75. Okay, that seems fair. Oh no, Ross and Carrie. At MaximumFun.org. You knew it was a .org. I have a gift. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so for our mash game, for our first category, I would love to do, well, let's start with, I guess, maybe a little bit of the obvious, which is um, details or no, three mysteries from real life, as ancient as you want to into the future, um, that you would love to have the answer to. (gasps) Real life mysteries? Mm -hmm. So it could be like, I, no one ever has to wonder what happened with blah, blah, blah. I now know. I know. Oh I have. I possess that truth. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and, and by the way, this is all off the cuff, and probably you will feel differently in two hours, and that's okay. We're in the moment. We're in our okay. moment, in our bubble right now. Yes. And this is what's going to bubble up for you. I would like to know what happened definitively to Heyman Lee, who uh, is at the heart of the the serial story. I want, yeah. I want to go back to that night or day. It was a day, pretty sure. Yeah. Of that high school week, and I want to like watch the whole thing. Well, I don't want to, but I want to so that we can like, yeah, honor her memory and yeah, put that story to rest. Yeah, I that's one it. huge and yes. Oh God, am I going to pick like all cold or like possibly wrongful convictions? Dude, it's fine. <laughs> it's there's that what there you know mysteries I mean, in the world. Um, in some kind of fucked up way, I'd almost rather know about one person or one person's family who have been struggling than to know if there's a God. Like on some fucked up way, on some level. That didn't even I'm like, occur to that, me. That's so, but yeah, but I'm saying like the more, the bigger you get, the more existential it becomes versus like, yeah. this is a thing we right. don't know and there is an answer to this and I just want to know what that answer is. And living in the true crime space, I think that is beyond reasonable. Okay, good. I just thought of one. Great. Time zones. What? I want to explain it. I want to understand it. (laughs) And I want to be able to like really understand if we need them and what they mean. Uh, I don't like I'm not even kidding. I don't understand. So I want to understand that. Great. Love it. Let's go with (laughs) like (laughs) beginning of the world stuff. Like, oh, sure. Let's find out how the world started. Question mark. What is this? Yeah. hybrid of all the lore and stories and science that we have uh, as options. I want to, yes. I want a definitive answer to how the world started. Thank you. Beautiful. Agreed. <laughs> okay. okay. Next one. Let's do three movies that you can jump into and just be there. Um, mm. You don't have to relive the plot. You're not a character per se. You're just in that world. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, Clueless. Great. Planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> Great. Um, and... Goonies or um, Stand By mm. Me? Ooh, tough choice. I mean, Stand By Me is pretty emotionally heavy, but it's so good. But as a foreign, that's so why I can fun. get in there so quick. And the other two were fun. I'm going with Stand By yeah. Me. Great. Okay. Great, great, great. Okay. Uh, let's do three foods that in this reality, you just can't eat as much of it as often as you'd like. In this alternate reality, there's zero ramifications to the planet, to your body, to your sugar levels. You can have whatever you want. And it's this isn't, you know, the only thing you're ever going to eat. It's just three things you would love to be able to have at the snap of your fingers with zero ramifications. Oh, this one's so easy. Okay, French fries. Great. Ice cream slash milkshakes. Well, we, yeah, those are the same. Um, Great. I love junk food. I mean, I love a cheeseburger. Let's put a cheeseburger on there. Pizza. Pizza, 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 pizza. pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. I just said that like pizza, pizza, like (laughs) Little Caesars. (laughs) Yeah. Which, by the way, speaking of things that come into your mind that you're like, why do I care about this and why do I need to know the answer? The other day, I 
suddenly remembered pizza pizza and i was like why does he say it twice and i fell into this quagmire where and then i went and i was like oh you get two pizzas there you go it's not that it's not that complex (laughs) when you go to little caesar's you i think you get two pizzas for the price of one but for a while i was like pizza pizza why is he repeating himself did caesar repeat himself i don't understand what's the deeper meaning yeah no you just get two pizzas it's just two pizzas (laughs) amazing not that deep uh okay three places in the world whether you've been there or not that Mm -hmm. you imagine having a second home would be lovely you think of it as a vacation home but you could also think of it as a bustling other city home yeah Um, yeah i love this uh la great uh or or i'm gonna say southern california i'm not gonna limit myself to that southern california i would love to have a place there french french countryside yeah and then um, maybe like an island. I've not been to that many. I'm sure they're all beautiful, like something Bali-ish. Like, Great. Like Bali. Beautiful. Okay. Next one, let's do three topics as specific or as as sort of wide as you, would, you, as, you, as you want. But three things that you wish you could either write a book on or host like a long-term podcast about um, knowing that like the, the, all the details are just going to be in your brain. You don't have to s- search Perfect. them out. They're just all in there. You're an encyclopedia of these three subjects. Again, could be very broad or could be like, I want to, you know, dissect this one case or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the Enneagram. Great. Say it. Great. Absolutely. I think the second would be, I mean, true crime feels feels too broad and I'm doing it. So I'll be, su- oh, I'm going to like razor in a little bit and yes. say um, like women and cults, I think would be just like a really great deep dive, something I could really want to spend time on. And it bears uh, saying right now that you have just released, it's a three-parter, yeah? Three-parter <sighs> yes. on business of cults? Yeah. By the yeah. time this comes out, probably the third will be out and- um yeah, lots, lots to say about cults. I could, I could talk a lot about cults, but particularly, I think women in cults is yes. really interesting. Yes, um, love it. And third, I think would be around the topics of something in like a memoir type category that would be like shame and spirituality, something, mm, something like it. that. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, great, fantastic. Okay, uh, all right. It's mash. We got to have our <laughs> se- romance slash sexy times. Let's that's get right. three people. Could be characters, cartoons, literary characters, authors, living or dead, any age, mm. any era. Mm. The sky's the limit. Three. Okay. Um, I'm in a Jason Bateman era of my life. Right. So we're going to go with him. And let's say like Frank Sinatra around when he got arrested. Like mugshot <laughs> Frank Sinatra. I love it. Mugshot uh, Frank. So Amazing. Hot. Amazing. <laughs> and... Um, uh, I love, uh, I feel like you're looking around your room for tears, and that's one of my favorite things, because I have to do the same thing. I'm like, okay, I'm looking at a watch. Who, what, who wears a watch? Let it's me like, think about this. I know. It's like, don't want to say Steve Jobs. Um, God, those two came so quickly, and now I am totally blanking. I get um, it. I'm just going to go real, like, I'm going to keep it 90s and keep it high school and yeah. say, like, Brandon Walsh, 90210. That would have been the dream in high school, so... You know what? He was a very <laughs> appealing character. He was, and right? It's true that Jason Priestley is like, he just, he hit it spot on. You're like, I can tell this is a nice guy. <laughs> yes. like they found a real nice guy to play a nice guy. You know what I mean? They sure did. Can't always say that. So good, good on them. Next one, let's do three skills that maybe you've dabbled in, mm. but that we are going to give you the expertise at. Oh. 
I want to sing like really well. I'm a choir singer. You know, I want to be a soloist. Um, uh, I would love to dance really well. I would love to sing and to dance. And I would love to be, you know, a multilinguist, you know, like lots of languages, multiple languages. To be more specific, I mean, I would love to be fluent in Spanish. I'm like, I can... yeah. I'd like to be fluent in Spanish, but like yeah. other languages as well. Yeah, I'm bring, I'm giving you them all. Okay, if you great, want great, it, great. you have the aptitude okay, to just you. suck it in. I've said this before when this comes up because it was de- it would definitely be one of my answers too. But the sense of the unlocking culture through language <sighs> is so attractive. Like to be able to go anywhere and to get the nuances of you know what having that language means is yes. just magic. That's magic. It's like a magic passport, it you know? It's literal magic. And it's and when you learn about a phrase that exists in other languages that we don't have a word for in English, I'm so mad. And like, <laughs> so of course we don't have a word for that beautiful yeah. feeling. Like, yeah. of course we don't. I want, I want those. Like, because the idea of like more perfectly capturing my feelings, it's like, Nothing is more four-ish than that. So. I love it. I yeah. love it. Oh, I can't wait to dive into this Enneagram. I'll have to report back to you what <laughs> yes, comes up for me. Yes, please do. Um, totally will. Totally will. Okay, final category. Let's do three artists, writers. It doesn't matter. It really, anybody in the arts or mm-hmm. even in journalism, anything, mm-hmm. just a, just three people from history or from the present that you would love to collaborate on something. Oh, my God. If you write a screenplay with this person or you write a book with this person or you star in a Mm -hmm. thing with this person. Mm -hmm. Three. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anne Lamott is a writer. Yeah. I would choose her. Um, Really feeling uh, Rebecca Jarvis's journalism these days. Would not mind, like, a collab there. Um, And Glennon Doyle is another author. Do I, I I maybe don't know Glennon Doyle. Okay. So she wrote Untamed most recently, but prior okay. to that, it was Carry On Warriors, and her book just got optioned into a down. film. So you're going to be hearing a lot about her. But, okay. um, but yeah, she's a brilliant writer. Oh, I love it. Okay. This is I, this is also the very selfish reason I like doing this. Yeah. Because I always end up with good new stuff to dig uh-huh. into. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Give me a number between one and seven. Uh, five. Okay, great. While I do this very, very technical uh, series of discoveries through this MASH game, mm-hmm. uh, I would like to invite for you to tell uh, tell everybody about dialogue, uh, about the business of cults, where they can yeah. find things, anything else, any other place, socials, all that good stuff where sure, sure. Uh, people should go. Okay, so I am the host of a podcast called Dialogue, a true crime conversation, and it's an interview format show, and we tackle the kind of meta-level Uh, criminal justice and true crime conversations, as well as tropes. We like to talk about what true crime gets wrong. Uh, So there's lots of creators, journalists, lawyers, law enforcement on there. I also co-host a show about the intersection of reality TV and true crime called Criminality. So uh, you can find both of those and everything else on my website, which is RebeccaSebastian.com. And I'm on Twitter at hi underscore. It's Rebecca. And yeah, the best place is probably to go to the website. It'll link out to all the many socials and, and shows. But um, Dialogue, Criminality, and RebeccaSebastian.com are the best. Beautiful. Best places. Yeah. Beautiful. Get oh. over there, everybody. But not before you listen to the results from this 100% guaranteed MASH <laughs> alternate universe reality. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff here. Um, first of all, well, listen, I, I want to say welcome to Southern California. Oh, yeah, I have a beautiful- Thank you for having me. Uh, a beautiful, oh, I'm sorry, mansion in SoCal. 
So a uh, lot of options, a lot of options in the sh- shape of what a mansion looks like. I wouldn't mind tucking you into one of those great old 1920s Los Feliz um, mansions that uh, I- you'd be right around. My Thank name, you. kind of. Perfect. Some great spot. Some Beachwood Canyon. Some like, oh, I'm sorry. I live in Humphrey Bogart's old mansion. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> so congrats on that. I'm sure this mansion has a fabulous sort of ballroom. Uh, however you want to use it, you as a phenomenal dancer, are wa- oh you're going to want to have that open space. Love it. So that you can really just shine um, mm-hmm. at home. As, as anywhere else. So you have that. Um, I guess in some respects so far, this is all fitting together rather neatly. Certainly, this all still works with your mugshot era Sinatra. Oh my gosh, this is like a dream. It's a dream. This is beautiful. Uh, I love the idea of you, you know, you guys dan- having a romantic evening, dancing the night away, and then suddenly you both realize you're famished and you can just snap your fingers and have unlimited French fries. Oh, my God. What's, ro- what's more romantic than that? What's more romantic than that? This is a fantasy. And then we kind of get into, uh, I'm going to pair these two together because I okay. feel like it actually could sort of be brilliant, which is uh, to have this collaboration with Anne Lamott. And also be working on a project that's sort of around shame and spirituality. Oh my gosh. Right? Are we manifesting, I mean, Janet? I feel like that is, those two things are like, mwah. I mean, that's a that's a pairing for, in heaven right here. She lives in California, too. Just saying it's well, easier even for her to come it's gonna to be me. Much I easier. could go to her, yeah. It's going to be much um, easier. And speaking of, speaking of things uh, being easier because of where you are in respect to what time it is, I want you to know that you've got time zones down, Pat. And if you feel like you need to pull it and unfurl that and like reshape it in a way that makes more sense, you get to do that. So you're solving time zones. Also very exciting. And again, I feel like that fits in with this escape that you can make into planes, trains, and automobiles because there is this sort of sense of being one place, but we got to get there. What's going on? This is down here, but he's over there. The planes are... I like the sort of frenzy of that being calmed by your wisdom and still the fun and the joy and the silly of that fantastic movie. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, this is like Not the best bad. news I've had in a very long right? time. Thank you, you so much. You have a wonderful, wonderful MASH existence happening right now. And I'm so glad we got to do this. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next week on the podcast. The show is produced by Julian Burrell and Christian Duenas. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. Hey, you're number one. We could save kittens from trees. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.